Today is the last sermon in this short series of uh, biblical character studies. And I can't quite believe this, but we're giving this final round to the devil. Yes, you heard me right. The devil is our character of choice today, and this was not my idea. The one who, whose idea it was isn't even here this morning. So I trust that her spouse is going to take detailed objective notes, right, Mike Hebert? Yeah, yeah. So here's how I want to begin. Two Halloweens ago, I dressed up as Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I wore a long black graduation robe, big pearl earrings, and a white doily around my neck. And I had this mallet in hand that says, there's no truth without Ruth. (laughs) And I left it up here. By the afternoon that Halloween, I had gotten so used to wearing this black graduation robe, I didn't even forgot, or I, I didn't even remember that I had it on. I carried around, carried on uh, with my work that day, had appointments out and about, and toward the end of the day, I rushed home to meet a landscaper at our house uh, to talk about some projects we wanted to, to do. Now, I should note here that that year, Jesse and I were kind of lazy, and so there were no signs in our yard that we observed Halloween. So everyone else, it seemed, in the neighborhood had spooky, scary things in their yard. Uh, We had nothing. So our landscaper friend was friendly enough. We chatted. She asked me what I did. I said I was a pastor. That led to talking about Mennonites. Well, she got immediately excited and started into her testimony, which included how Jesus saved her from a world of darkness and how she detests Halloween because it is, quote, Satan's day to work Satan's powers. She was concerned for the souls of anyone who participated. Well, she then went on to say that she felt like God had brought us together on this day. Maybe the two of us could work some good against this evil. Now, if you don't believe me, Jesse was witness to this conversation, too. It was quite wild. Well, it finally dawned on me that she may have thought that I was wear- what I was-, I was wearing as a Halloween costume was my normal Mennonite, plain, long, black dress with a hand-sewn doily around my neck. I think I had lost my pearl earrings by then. So anyway, I eventually did come clean to her. I said, just to be clear, this is a Halloween costume. I'm a Supreme Court justice. It was such a confusing afternoon appointment for both of us, and she never did send me a bid. Actually, she sent me a consulting bill like a year later, and I still haven't paid it, and I don't think I will. And I I share this at the outset, uh, not just for laughs, 
But because it was an important, it was an important reminder for me of just how loaded and confusing this subject is for a lot of us. We all have our different religious or non-religious or anti-religious upbringings. We have our different experiences in spirituality. We have different triggers and traumas. And I know at least a few people probably stayed home today because they knew what the sermon was going to be about. So it seems like I owe it to them and to everyone here to acknowledge a few things at the outset. Symbols and concepts of Satan have wreaked so much damage. I know at least several people in my life who went through or who were forced through binding the devil rituals, a type of exorcism, with hopes in these cases that it would rid them of their same-sex attraction. For those with a more fundamentalist understanding or, or paradigm of good versus evil, in that paradigm, difference is often demonized or believed to be of the devil. And it can, it not always, but it can lead to demonization of others to varying degrees. And in more extreme cases, concepts of Satan, these paradigms of good versus evil, have led to so much evil done in the name of fighting evil. The author of the book, The Quest for the Historical Satan, says this, quote, some of the worst evils that have been done in history were done in the name of purging the world from evil. <laughs> Let me read that again. Some of the worst evils that have been done in history were done in the name of purging the world from evil. So think genocide, ethnic cleansing, witch hunts, demonizing Native American spirituality, demonizing other cultures and their observances. The list goes on. Well, these concerns lead many, perhaps this includes you, to the conclusion that maybe not believing in Satan or that devil is the better option. <laughs> At least it won't cause as much harm. Well, I'll return to some of those concerns at the end. Well, having acknowledged these things, maybe it's a bit of a disclaimer here at the beginning, I sure learned a lot this week, and I enjoyed this study quite a bit. Did you know, for example, that the devil, the Satan, used interchangeably, it seems, in Scripture, the devil can be found in our blue hymnal? Did you know that? There are at least seven hymns with the devil or Satan mentioned in it. A mighty fortress, one of the versions, a mighty fortress is our guard, uh, uh, God, mentions hordes of devils. <laughs> you, can, you can find that later if you want in the blue hymnal. That study of the hymnal is for another day, and I'm going to leave that one for Rosie someday. What I want to focus on today is a biblical survey of the devil. 
This is a biblical character study, after all. So let's try to put other cultural references aside, whether it's Dante's Inferno, a recent TV show called Lucifer, put away your ACDC albums, just for, for a moment here. The first mention of the devil, or Satan, is in First Chronicles, chapter 21. It says, Satan stood up against Israel and incited David, as in King David, to count the people of Israel. Now, Satan here in Hebrew simply means adversary. I suppose maybe this is where the saying, the devil's advocate, comes from. We call ourselves the devil's advocate when we are taking on a more adversarial role or position, a rather healthy and productive thing to do often. So we learn later in scripture that Satan didn't incite David without God's awareness. Satan in these early scriptures isn't acting in opposition to God. Simply this adversarial role. In early Israelite thought, the Satan, which is always lowercase, with the always attached to it, the Satan, was believed to be part of God's heavenly realm, part of God's council or team. Several scholars would have us think uh, of the Satan's role, again, this is early in Israelite thought, as, as God's prosecuting attorney, essentially. The role of the accuser, the adversary, an important role in God's court, and a full member of the divine council. Now, we get a good look of, the, of this picture of the Satan in the book of Job, There is a bit of a trial going on in Job that that might be easy to miss. And it's not just the trials and sufferings that Job goes through. There is a heavenly debate and trial going on behind the scenes of Job. So get this. I've missed this um, multiple times in Job. What's in question or, or what's on trial is God's assertion that Job is completely blameless and upright, an outstanding um, man of God. The Satan's, the adversarial's contention is that Job only behaves himself because God has rewarded him. God argues that Job is rewarded because he is good and not good because he is rewarded. So that Satan challenges God to a wager that if everything is taken away from poor Job, he won't be so good anymore. God accepts the challenge. The trial begins. And I'll let you read Job on your own to find out what happens. The lesson here is don't get caught in a wager between God and God's prosecuting attorney. It's not pretty. <laughs> so again, I just, I just want to review this. And th- this is something I learned this week. In the earliest parts of the Bible, the Satan is acting with God's awareness. 
It's not like it's some independent force of evil or enemy of God trying to obstruct God. The concept of an evil one or an evil prince, a fallen angel somehow separated from God's heavenly court, this does not exist in the Israelite consciousness for a really long time. Now, before I move on, I'll just kind of take us through the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. You may be asking yourself, what about the talking serpent, the snake in Genesis? Isn't that the earliest mention or personification of the devil uh, working against God's purposes? Remember, the talking serpent in the Garden of Eden is just a serpent, it does talk, so that's, that's kind of interesting. But the serpent is created by God. It says the serpent was the most clever of all of the beasts of the field that Yahweh God had made. From chapter 3. Probably the reason that so many of us equate the serpent with the devil or Satan is that in the last book of the Bible, the New Testament, Revelation, there's two places where Satan is referred to as the ancient serpent. So we as Christians have read that back into Genesis. But if you read Genesis as is, the serpent is just a talking serpent made by God. Now, before we move to the New Testament, um, thoughts on the matter and the many names uh, for Satan given in the New Testament, there are a few other things I want to highlight in the Hebrew, Hebrew Bible. I'll try to keep this, this moving. So as time marches on for the Israelites, as they continue to evolve as a people and as they experience long stretches of thriving as a people, followed by periods of exile and persecution. Their concepts of the devil and Satan, and God for that matter, begins to evolve, begins to shift. New circumstances cause them to ask new questions and formulate new concepts and paradigms about good and evil. So you see in some of the later books of the Bible, the, the Old Testament, books like Isaiah and Ezekiel, a different picture of Satan seems to, be, seems to emerge or come into view. In these passages, Satan seems to be thought of as, yes, created by God, serving God, but at some point, Satan rebels and God fires Satan. Satan is cast down for rebelling, a fallen angel of sorts. And this, in case you wondered, this fallen angel in Isaiah is given the name Lucifer. But only in the King James Version do you find that name, Lucifer. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? King James Version of Isaiah chapter 14. 
This is the only translation that uses the name Lucifer to refer to Satan. It comes from the Latin and not Hebrew, and it means light bringer. Very interesting. Now, around this same time, when Isaiah is set, there exists a Canaanite myth about a fallen evil angel. And I only mention this because what I see in my study is that as the Israelites come into contact with different kingdoms and different empires, as they become more and more entrenched in different cultures, they become more and more exposed to different myths and demonologies and deities. Some scholars say that the biblical writers were especially influenced by Persian ideas, uh, which were much more dualistic in terms of good versus evil paradigms. That might help us understand why in the Hebrew Bible we see a progression from Satan being part of the divine council to Satan becoming the proper name of the devil, this supernatural power now seen to oppose God as this leader of the forces of evil. It also seems worth noting here that this more dualistic belief in good versus evil became more and more solidified in Jewish thought around 1st century BCE, so just before Jesus comes on the scene. So this period between the later books of the Old Testament and Jesus' birth, more of a cosmic duality comes into focus for many Jews. And by the first century CE, so after Jesus is born, more and more believe that Satan was the ruler over the kingdom of darkness. Well, lest this sermon get too tedious and too full of details, the devil is in the details after all, right? Let me just quickly highlight um, a few things within the New Testament, because there is also a plurality of thought, an evolution of thought that we see, names given to the evil one or these evil forces. In the Gospels, for example, in Matthew 12, there's a name mentioned, um, Beelzebub, I think maybe is how you pronounce it. This was adopted by some Israelites as a major demon. It's associated with the Canaanite god Baal, so Beelzebub. A few other New Testament references. There is mention of the tempter in Matthew 4. There's mention of a prince of this world in John. Also in John, the evil one is referred to the father of lies. Now moving forward, the Apostle Paul often used language of principalities and powers. Or in Ephesians, there is mention of the ruler of the power and air. Then later in the same, uh, in, in Paul's letters in, in 2 Corinthians, there is mention of a Belair. This occurs in the Hebrew Bible, Belair, the name Belair, and later personified as the devil in some Jewish and Christian texts. It's basically used to characterize the wicked 
and worthless. Well, fast forward now, we're almost done, to the book of Revelation. The devil here is called a dragon, and like I mentioned earlier, the ancient serpent. The main thrust, of course, or one of the main thrusts of Revelation is that Satan will fall eventually in Christ's final act of salvation. Someday maybe we'll do just a study on Revelation. Well, moving right ahead, I, with the time remaining, if I do have time, I want to pivot here and say that while I enjoy looking at this survey of the Bible, what the Bible says, I found myself feeling more and more anxious. Because it feels so difficult to know how to talk about Satan and the devil, evil or evil forces, in today's context. We have such a different worldview than the biblical worldviews, shaped and sometimes limited, limited as it was by the science, philosophy, and religious thought of its day. So what, do, what place does any concept of the devil or Satan have in our more modern, more scientific consciousness? Does it even have I won't try to attempt an, an, a complete answer to that question, but I do want to share today um, some writing, some work that I found during my years of seminary that has really shaped some of my more recent thinking on this question. So Walter Wink, um, he died in 2010, I believe. Walter Wink was a pacifist and a New Testament scholar, and he's best known for his Powers Trilogy. He has a book called Naming the Powers, second one is Unmasking the Powers, and the third one is, is Engaging the Powers. It's all about faithful resistance in a world of domination. And I find him to be so helpful to those of us who identify as Christians who want to maintain some kind of biblical awareness, but in our postmodern context. So Walter Wink draws on Paul's language. At work in the world are powers and principalities. And Walter Wink advances the idea that these powers and principalities were created good by God, but they are fallen. And therefore, they need to be redeemed. Walter Wink often uses the phrase domination systems to talk about these powers and principalities that are operative today. So what he zeroes in on is that these powers and principalities always have both an outward form and an internal energy animating. And any work that we do today, we must pay attention to both external structures and the spiritual energy animating these domination systems. Whether those domination systems are white supremacy, homophobia, militarism, or maybe we could say materialism. For Walter Meek, these powers and principalities, these domination systems, aren't 
these separate heavenly forces or, or just ethereal realities. But they are real systems and organizations that affect our lives today. And that have incredible sway on us. Often hell-bent on overpowering and dehumanizing. And we are all vulnerable to their sway. All of us. Now I find Walter Week so hopeful. <laughs> he believed that these domination systems can be redeemed if enough of us start caring. Their power can increase or decrease depending on what attention we give it. We can refuse to give these domination systems power. And Walter Wink believed that faith communities are at their best when they are wide awake to these powers and principalities, these destructive powers, and work in concert with others to redeem them. Of course, this takes incredible discipline and study and worship intention. Well, speaking of churches, I, I can't preach a sermon about the devil in the Bible without mentioning one other place in Scripture where Satan is mentioned. There is a point in the Gospels when Jesus says to Peter, his most beloved disciple, Peter, of course, the name means rock, as in the one on whom the church is built. Jesus says to him, the rock, get behind me, Satan, his beloved disciple. Peter was always trying to get out in front of Jesus, who was rather impulsive at times. So using Walter Wink's framework, perhaps the spiritual power emanating from Peter in that moment was starting to turn from being good to being somewhat fallen. Perhaps Peter was emanating a power used to overpower and dominate versus power used for good and better purposes. And so I find within the story of Peter and Jesus here a word of caution for the church of all ages. We can sometimes get ahead and wield power and domination that Jesus will not claim and own with us or for us. So as a church, we best reckon with how we too can become part of and even prop up domination systems of our day, which are hell-bent on destruction and dehumanization. Perhaps the season of Lent upcoming here will be a good time to keep exploring what domination systems exist today. Well, Rosie found for us a beautiful, I'd say provocative hymn for us to sing now as we consider the do domination systems of our day. Um, Let's let's just take a moment. Why don't you pull it out? It's it's in 
embedded in in the bulletin. Let's just take a moment of silence as we consider what, what we've just heard and maybe silently read some of the language of this beautiful hymn. Let's go ahead and uh, remain seated uh, for the singing of this.